910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. In this episode, we begin our Real Truth About Real Stuff round two. There were so many topics that we didn't get to touch on in the first Real Truth About Real Stuff series, as well as a lot of new things that came up, Chris. So we decided to do round two. Absolutely. And we have some great and some very relevant topics lined up in this season. So in this episode, we're going to delve into something that has a lot of different beliefs that are all over the spectrum. And it is, can those who have died be a guiding light for those who are still on earth? In other words, can those who have died come back to earth in any way? And there's so many different beliefs on this. And as always, we don't want to ever give you our opinion or our wish on what something means or should mean. And while we want to be gentle and sensitive, because we know this is a sensitive issue, as Christians, we need to know what the Bible says about everything. Look, I've lost both my parents. I've lost a brother, a nephew, and others. So I might have a desire of what I'd like to be true, but that doesn't really do me any good. I need to know what God says. I need to know the truth. Yeah, because nothing constructive or productive ever comes out of believing a lie. So today, we want to give solid biblical truth about this issue. What does the Bible say about those who have died coming back to earth? Surprisingly, Chris, it has a lot to say about it. But before we get into what the Bible actually says, let's throw a few beliefs out there that are held by many, a lot of professing Christians. Mm -hmm. While we were doing research for this episode, we came across a a website called souldetective.net, and they give several reasons as to why those who've died don't cross over, as they put it. And I'm going to quote the website here. It says, sometimes spirits get stuck between the worlds, exasperating everyone's grief. Attachments to people, places, and things may hold back a loved one from making the transition. So the base of the belief is that those who died sometimes need help from those of us on earth crossing over to the other side. Well, they go on to expand saying that people might stay earthbound after death if a strongly bonded loved one is unable to let go of the deceased. Also, they say, when strong negative feelings are so dense and heavy, they chain the spirit to the gravitational field of the earth, they can't cross over. And here's an interesting reason that a person's soul may stay on earth after their body dies, because they might not realize that they are dead. That's what they say. And I believe that is the plot to the entire movie, The Sixth Sense. Um. Pretty sure it is. Good movie. These soul detectives say that when people are confused or disoriented at the moment of death, they may not realize that their spirit's no longer in their body. They use an example as death from an impact to the head, such as an automobile collision, compromises cognitive function. Chris, maybe getting shot in a surprise break-in will compromise your cognitive function like that happens in the sixth sense. It might. My cognitive function is not good sometimes anyway, so (laughs) I might be in trouble. Well, then, yeah, that's right. Maybe this doesn't spell well for you. They say sometimes people with dementia will often have compromised mental capacity, and they might not realize what's happening when their spirit leaves their body. And there are more reasons they give. They say that when a person fears retribution for misdeeds, 
that their spirit might turn away from the light. And I'm going to quote something from this website. So stick with me here a second. They say, the truth seems to be that the divine does not judge us. We judge ourselves and condemn ourselves to hell of separation from our creator's love. All right. And then that was the quote. So additionally, they also say suicide may chain the spirit to earth, but not always. And then that person must stay earthbound until the length of time that they would have lived. And surprisingly, that isn't all they say. It says a soul may be kept earthbound because of a curse or a hex or unfinished business. <laughs> so that could really pretty much be anything. And we've seen this theme played out in countless TV shows and, you know, movies like Ghost Whisperer and movies like Ghost. And where do we begin with that? I don't even know. We're judging ourselves. I think I'd be a lot less harsh. <laughs> if it meant hell, I sure would be. Yeah. But I mean, you know. Un unfinished business. Other than Jesus, is there any earthly person who's died who didn't have unfinished business? I don't know. I didn't make dinner yet. <laughs> and I might not. And uh. One more thing. Apparently, some didn't get the memo that you can't take it with you because they say that some souls stay on earth after death because they're so attached to their material possessions in this world that they're unwilling to leave them. This last reason is why in ancient times, when some pagan kings were buried, they were buried with their possessions, including pets and family members. And yes, the pets and family members were killed so they could be buried with the king. The thinking was the king would want their stuff, their pets, and their people with them in the afterlife. Yeah, we will finish up with soul detectives by quoting what they say is a potential problem with someone who has died and remains earthbound. I'm going to quote again. The energy field connected to the human body receives a constant stream of spiritual energy from above through the crown chakra and from Mother Earth below the root chakra. This life energy from the earth and the sky then radiates out through the heart. We also get energy from the food we eat and the air we breathe. After death, earthbound spirits have no way of their own to take in energy, so their presence depletes the energy in any area that they go to. A room has an earthbound spirit present, usually feels chilly, a kind of coldness that penetrates to the bones. When an earthbound spirit attaches to hu a human energy field of a living person, this attachment drains the life energy of the host, like draining a battery from this, of its juice. Sometimes people who don't know that they are dead attach to a family member because of the deep bond of love between them, not realizing how damaging this connection is to both parties. You think that instead of narcolepsy, that you have someone clinging to you, draining your energy? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know. Maybe that's my issue. We said we'd be gentle, <laughs> but, you know, we got to question this stuff. I mean, you have to question uh, things. If they don't know they're dead, why are they clinging to somebody? I Yeah, it just doesn't go together, but yeah, that's why. And that's how all this stuff is. I know. We'll try to be more gentle, but. Yeah. I hope you're all questioning same way we are. And if you're confused about what the heck chakras are, we refer back to an episode from the first series, Real Truth About Real Stuff. And that was episode 33 called Alternative Medicine, Yay or Nay. If you want to remind yourself of all this new age stuff, 
that Chris just talked about that I bet she never thought she'd be saying in a statement. <laughs> we encourage you to give that episode a listen or re-listen. So we're not going to go into all that stuff. But some of you may think that some of the things we just said that these self-declared experts of the soul say sounds pretty reasonable. And like we said, lots and lots of movies, TV shows, books about a dead person's soul not being able to leave the earth until they clean up unfinished business, maybe help the living figure out who murdered them or helping their living loved ones cope with their death and move on. You know, it's been so ingrained in media. Maybe some of us think this stuff sounds reasonable. There are Christians who think this stuff sounds reasonable. It makes for great books and TV movies and, well, I guess even big movies. But yeah, let's let's debunk this crap. So now if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you can pretty much believe whatever you want to. But if you're a Christian, your authority is what the Bible says. It's your authority on everything the Bible is. So instead of arguing or reasoning about what happens to a person when they die or if a soul can stay or return to earth, Let's see what the Bible has to say about it, because that's the only real authority and absolute truth on everything pertaining to God and how Christians are to live their lives and how they're to believe. Right. And a belief we didn't mention, and I'll just throw this in there, is reincarnation. And we didn't mention it, and we're not going to talk about it, because we also dealt with that in an episode in the first series, Real Truth About Real Stuff. So if you want to check out about reincarnation and everything about that, it's episode 26. I will give a scripture that not only refutes reincarnation, but it's also a good starting point for our discussion today. And that's Hebrews 9.27. And that says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Okay, we have a lot to present, so we're going to dig in. Let's start with what may be a familiar passage to some of you, and that is about the rich man and Lazarus. And it's found in Luke It's found in Luke. 16, 19 to 13. Usually we use the ESV, but for this passage, the NLT does a great job of capturing the spirit of the parable that Jesus is telling. So here it is. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, 
Then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Okay, well, we could spend the whole episode expositing this parable, but that's not what we're shooting for today. We want to use it to pull out a few points about the topic of death and people returning after death. First thing we should note is that this is a parable. This parable comes on the heels of the ungrateful servant parable and after Jesus calls the Pharisees lovers of money. So Jesus has a definite agenda for telling this parable, and it's the consequences of greed and love of money and how it can lead you to hell. But we're going to concentrate on a few verses. Let's zoom in on verse 22, which says, Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. This place of the dead is hell. In fact, the ESV version of this passage uses Hades instead. So the conclusion is that when a person dies, they either go to heaven or hell. And how do we know this applies to everyone? Let's repeat the verse we started off with, Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And we'll add a few more verses to that Hebrews verse. Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7 says, Yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Solomon is giving a vivid picture and treating people to come to God while they're alive because once they die, our spirit goes back to God. If we have made Jesus Lord and Savior of our life, Jesus himself tells us what happens the moment we die in Luke 23, 43, when speaking to the thief on the cross that was next to him. He said to him, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. It doesn't get clearer than that. No, it doesn't. Not at all. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 reiterates the going before judgment when we die. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And again, we don't have time to exposit this completely, but just to put this verse in the context, the doing good is defined as belonging to Christ and having his perfect goodness imputed to us. Doing evil is defined as standing on our own record. John reiterates this truth in John 5, 24, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And he says it again in John eleven twenty five, where it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Yeah, we should stop a minute here and talk about the phrase eternal life. This phrase is used throughout scripture and always in the context of meaning going to heaven after death to be with Jesus. However, the phrase can sometimes lead people to a wrong conclusion. There's a belief out there that believers go to heaven and unbelievers are annihilated, meaning that they just cease to exist. And that's not what this means. Everyone's born dead in their sin. The Holy Spirit regenerates the hearts of those God chooses and they're brought to life and belong to God. The eternal life, you know, refers to us staying in that staved living state for all eternity. On the other side, those who are never regenerated remain in their dead state for all eternity. 
they do live forever, but they aren't going to experience the glorious eternal life that believers do. Right. And we see this clearly in the parable that you read. The rich man is said to be in torment while Lazarus sat at a heavenly banquet. And I'm glad you settled that, Chris, because I think that's an important point to make. We probably need to stop for a minute, though, and deal with those who believe there's a third option to heaven and hell, and that's purgatory. Chris, we don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but what can you tell us about purgatory? Well, this is, obvi- this is a Roman Catholic belief. In fact, the Roman Catholic Catechism says in paragraph 1030, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Well, first, there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing at all in scripture that supports the notion of an in-between place that's a dwelling for the dead. And second, this isn't a problem for the Catholic Church because they use church tradition as much as or over top of the Bible as their authority. So for things like this, while sometimes their translation of the Bible, which is the Vulgate, has been shown to have been, you know, having mistranslated words from the original Hebrew or Greek, even if it hasn't, they rely on their, you know, how their church fathers interpreted scripture. But that's a wrong belief. Yes. And yeah, it's not anywhere in scripture. No. Is it Mm -mm. anywhere in scripture? No, not. There's nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. That's right. As Protestants, we rely only on the Bible as our authority, or at least we should. Of course, not all Protestants are doing that, not all denominations, but we should. And we can refute this belief about purgatory with one passage from Scripture, although there's many. We're just going to throw one out there, and that's Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Although the Holy Spirit definitely sanctifies us while we're on earth, it makes us more and more resemble Jesus while we're living, we're never going to reach perfection on this side of heaven. But thankfully, our entrance into heaven isn't riding on our sanctification. Our ticket's already been punched because of Jesus's perfect holiness, which he imputed to us when we became believers. Yeah, absolutely. And that that just blows the whole thing out of the water. But like we said, we don't want to spend a ton of time on that. I'm going to finish up with a quote about it, though, from 19th century theologian Charles Hodge. He said this about the doctrine of purgatory. The doctrine of purgatory rests avowedly on the assumption that notwithstanding the infinitely meritorious sacrifice of Christ, the sinner is bound to make sanctification for his own sins. This, the Bible declares, to be impossible. No man does or can perfectly keep the commandments of God, much less can he not only abstain from incurring new guilt, but also make atonement for sins that are past. So what he's basically saying in that quote is what the Catholic Church proposes is not only unbiblical, it's impossible for a human to do. That's right. Amen to that. Okay, so let's go back to the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Notice that the rich man can see Lazarus, who's in heaven, from hell where he's at. Remember, this is a parable. So we can't know for sure that those in hell can actually see those in heaven, or if Jesus is using hyperbole in this parable to make his point. It does make sense that part of the torment someone in hell might experience is seeing glimpses of heaven. 
But either way, that's not the point for today's topic. As we said, there's a ton of theology in this parable, but for our purposes today, the point is that both have died, they were judged and went to either heaven or hell. There's no third option as we just shown. And another important point to note is that while the rich man can see Lazarus, there's no indication at all that Lazarus sees the rich man. Remember, the rich man's talking to Father Abraham, not Lazarus. Yeah, that's a good point to make because a lot of people like to think of their loved ones who've died as looking down on them from heaven. But if our loved ones are in heaven, they aren't looking down at us. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no more work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. And this might sound like we're being harsh, but we just want people to think about this. While it might seem comforting to us to think that our loved ones who are in heaven are looking down on us, is that really what we would want for them? They've lived their life. They've gone through their struggles and their crises. You know, would we really want them spending their time in heaven when they could be with Jesus, worshiping him and hanging with him, instead wringing their hands and watching us deal with our struggles and crises down here? I think you're exactly right, Chris. And scripture thinks you're right. Revelation 7, 17 says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And later in Revelation 21, 4, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Heaven is the real promised land that God's leading his people to. It's the ultimate place that's described in Joshua 1.13, where it says the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. So if it's a place where there's no more tears and only springs of living water and a place with no mourning or no pain, but a place of rest, then we have to conclude that those in heaven cannot look down to earth because doing so and seeing what's going on would hardly be restful and would certainly cause pain, mourning, and tears. And being how those who have died know exactly what happens to those who have not accepted Jesus as their savior, can you imagine the anguish watching people they love on earth reject Jesus over and over? And again, would we really want that for our loved ones? Would we want that for ourselves? And I just keep thinking of all the people in the Bible, when they see God, they're falling down on their faces and worshiping him. It's not it doesn't seem to anymore be about them or people. I agree. It's about I, God. Completely. We saw three or four glimpses of heaven in the book of Revelation and everyone was just like you described. Okay. So we've established that when people die, they immediately go before God for judgment and either go to heaven or hell. And I'll throw a side note in here that we're talking about people's souls. For now, when someone dies, it's their soul that's judged and sent to heaven or hell. We do believe certainly that every physical body is going to be resurrected at Jesus's second coming, but that really doesn't have any bearing on the subject because your physical body is going to follow where your soul is. So I just wanted to clear that up. So no one thinks we're talking about physical bodies at this time. So we don't get emails and messages. So, okay. So we've established that we're immediately judged upon death and that those in hell may or may not be able to see into heaven or see what's happening on earth but those in heaven can definitely not see hell or earth. 
Yeah, I can picture people right now, Rose, getting upset and saying, I know that so-and-so has come back to comfort me, or maybe I've seen a ghost or someplace that was haunted. I know ghosts exist. So let's deal with both of those things right now. What about ghost sightings, both good and bad? People have been comforted by them they or they've been terrified by them. Everybody who claims to have experienced a ghost can't be crazy. So Rose, what's going on? Well, let's start with the comforting experiences people have with quote unquote ghosts who they believe are loved ones who've come back to help them or comfort them. We've already shown that that's not possible. So what is this? Again, scripture's got the answer. Hebrews 1.14 tells us, therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Angels are ministering spirits. They're sent to serve for the sake of those who are going to inherit salvation, believers. This means God sends his angels to help and serve his people. The fact that they're spirits shows us that they're separate created beings. A human can never be an angel, whether before or after death, and an angel, although they can sometimes take the form of a human, can never truly be human. As John Owens writes, these blessed angels specifically minister to the family, the church, and have us under their constant care. So if you've lost someone that you've loved and felt like there was a comforting presence or something supernatural happened, and you attributed that to your loved one coming back and doing it, it's very possible that it was an angel. And that should be incredibly encouraging, even more encouraging than it being some human that we've lost. Because angels serve God. They do only what he instructs. And since God is perfect love, he only has our best interest in mind at all times. He's infallible when it comes to giving us what we need and when we need it. And, you know, if some of us need something supernatural at some point, he can do it. He's done it before and there's no indication that he still doesn't do it. And before we get all kinds of messages and emails, we aren't talking about the wonders and signs God did in the Old Testament. Right. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that this was how God spoke in the past, but now he speaks through Jesus, or in other words, scripture. Exactly. Yeah. So I just want to clear that up. Yeah, that's a good thing to clear up. But he does still use angels to minister to us. Years ago, I had an experience. I was driving and I didn't have a seatbelt on. I usually always wear it, but didn't have one on that day. And an audible voice came from my passenger seat and said, put your seatbelt on. I mean, it was so audible. I remember swinging my head around expecting to see someone sitting there. And of course there wasn't. I put my seatbelt on and less than a minute later, I crashed my car into a telephone pole because I was getting stung by a bee and leaned down to swat it off. The very first thing the police officer said when he showed up was, good thing you had a seatbelt on or else you'd be dead. The point is God definitely uses angels to minister to his people in whatever way he deems they may need it. And you might think, what's the harm in thinking that it's my deceased loved one acting and not an angel acting under God's instructions. I just have to say, well, there is harm. You're robbing God of his due glory, and it will keep you from being grateful to God for these things. In a way, you're replacing God with your deceased loved one. That's syncretism. Right. I mean, it's almost like the loved one's an idol. And if we're praying to the dead, asking them to intervene on our behalf or to help us deal with something, that is full-blown idol worship. There is nothing wrong with thinking about those who have died and even thinking, I wonder what mom would have thought about this. But we can't replace God with any human, whether dead or alive. Amen to that. 
And I hope we're giving everyone things to think about. So let's look at the other kind of ghosts, the ones who haunt and terrify people. Common sense would tell us if angels are comforting us, then it's probably demons that are tormenting us. Chris, there's a whole lot we could delve into about this, but there isn't time. And yes, it is a possibility that sometimes the quote unquote good angels, the one who serve God, do earthly destructive things under God's instruction. But we're not going to go into it that deep today. For today, we want to tell you that Satan and his demons are at work on earth under God's sovereign control, of course, but they are doing supernatural dark things. We did a whole episode on Satan and his demons in the first Real Truth about real stuff. We did an episode on psychics in Real Truth about real stuff. In fact, it's the same episode as Reincarnation, episode 26. And we have a whole episode planned on the third eye and witchcraft coming up shortly. And there are all these dark forces that are loose on earth. Right. And so things like evil spirits, demons, demon possession, hauntings could very well be demons acting out. Jesus says this in Matthew 12. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person and passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Jesus is speaking about a person's spiritual situation here, but he's also saying that demons can indwell unbelievers and wreak havoc on their lives. And again, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about this here, but if you as a believer think you can face these demons yourself and order them away in the name of Jesus, you're sadly mistaken. And I believe that's going to be another episode coming up in the future. There's so much surrounding all of this. There's no way, Chris, we could have possibly tackled this in one episode. That's right. But we will say our defense against anything dark is a prayer and God's word. Pray for Jesus to intercede since he's the only one that can and has defeated Satan and his demons. And be in God's word. Stand on the promises and truths that are in it. That's how we fight the evil one. So, okay, we want to end on an encouraging note because we know that this has probably been really hard for some people to hear. Yeah, we're sure it has been. Well, we titled this episode, Can the Dead Be a Guiding Light? on purpose, and we did it for a reason. While, as we've seen, those who've died do not return to earth in any way, loved ones who've passed can certainly be a guiding light to us. They can be a guiding light in the legacy they've left and all the memories they've instilled in us. My mom was master at hospitality. She made people, anyone who happened to just show up at our house, invited or uninvited, feel like they were honored guests by the way she treated them, by the feast she put in front of them, And she ingrained that in me. Every time we have people over and someone makes the remark, what are you feeding an army? I smile and think of my mom because that's what people used to always say to her. Yeah. You know, those we love who have died definitely leave a legacy. And they're ingrained on our hearts and our minds, like you said, you know. God gives us people to love on earth as a gift. That gift doesn't change and it isn't diminished simply because they physically died. So think fondly of those that you've lost and loved. Think about what they meant to you and what they've taught you. And if they were a Christian, celebrate that they're no longer dealing with the painful aspect of earth. They're in heaven. They're celebrating and worshiping our almighty God, sharing in the glory of God. They're fellowshipping with Jesus. They're not shedding one tear 
of sadness or pain. And we'll finish with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8, where he says, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Amen.